0: So, there is genuinely, literally no time whatsoever to kind of waste on an intro where I try to be funny or quirky or whatever the fuck it might be. This is a packed ass episode, and it will be treated as such. So, on this episode, we got brand new single by the likes of Spirit Box, A Mice and Men, Sea Space Cowboy, and a couple of others to get through, and then brand new records by The Word Alive, Hot Milk, Spanish Love Songs, Heirloom, Asking Alexandria, and Holding Absence. Thank you so much, thank you for tapping in, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So then allow me to go ahead and move into the reviews pretty quickly for the episode. The first one up is the new single by Spirit Box called Jaded. Jaded. So the band announced a new EP set to release on November 3rd called The Fear of Fear. It'll feature this track along with The Void, which I sang all the praises in the world for. And I'm going to do the same with Jaded because I think it is patented spirit box in the sense that it finds the balance between calamity and tranquility that Courtney is able to navigate everyone through with some of the most pristine, clean sections of any metalcore band right now and then as monstrous of screams as she has ever wielded before. And every element to Jaded circles back for the chorus that is as catchy as it is gripping and as accomplishing as the rest of the band's discography that I truly believe has never had a low point, never missed, never once fallen from the standard that the band has set for themselves. The Fear of Fear can and will be incredibly special, and I hope anybody who has waited for this material coming off of Rotoscope and Eternal Blue over the last two years can find as much, if not more, solace in this new record. There is a brand new Of My Cement song, it is Castaway. This is the second single released so far for the album Tether which is dropping on October 6th and for as much as I enjoyed the first single which was Warpaint I think I like Castaway just a bit more and that's because of the fluid range that Aaron Pauly is able to showcase in his vocals as the rest of the band provides this perfect backing track that leads into this chorus that is among The most captivating and just overall best I think I've ever heard from Of Mice and Men. There's a lot to love about this track from its progression to its production and then everything in between which is what generates this massive level of excitement on my end so far for Tether. And I am just happy to be able to say this about a band who has been as important to me since my formative years as Of Mice and Men. C Space Cowboy released a brand new single called Chewing the Scenery. So, what we have here is the first bit of new material to C Space Cowboy since their 2021 album. The Romance of Affliction, and I feel like Chewing the Scenery does a magnificent job at not only picking up where that record left off, but also expanding on the post-hardcore and screamo nature to the identity that Sea Space Cowboy have been successfully structuring for themselves. Connie is as commanding of a front woman as she's ever been, and she does an incredible job at paralleling her screams with Taylor's cleans that really do help Chewing the Scenery become as effective of a new single as it is. I've been really happy to see the success that Sea Space Cowboy have had over the last few years and the potential for that to continue is definitely there with the Nothing Nowhere tour coming up and then more new music that is certain to keep up the trend of displaying Sea Space Cowboy as one of the best bands in the entire scene. Set to Stun decided to come out of fucking hibernation and they have a new song called For Death of a Dreamcatcher. Set to Stun is a bit of a weird one. I feel like they've been around for what feels like a while, yet they don't really have much material out there. They might be at like, I don't know, three songs in the last five years, something of that number, but even with that low-end quantity of tracks, I think the quality is there more often than not. Walk Tall 2 from back in 2018 was one of my favorite songs of the decade, and I think it's going to be Really interesting to see for myself how Death of a Dream Capture morphs and ages because it has so many of the intangible elements that I think could really take Set to Stun to a higher echelon in the scene. The song is filled with these twists and turns that keep the listener guessing and listening along in excitement. And those turns I feel like give Set to Stun this canvas to really showcase themselves in the brightest manner possible because one second they can be this blistering metalcore band and then the next be rivaling bands like spirit box and i prevail as the catchiest act in the scene when they craft these really intricately detailed sections that is so hard to put into real words and you kind of just need to hear it for yourself to understand it or at least try to understand it i have no idea what is next for such a or when I'll even have a chance in the future to talk about them again, given how, you know, uneven and sporadic their releases can be. So it was paramount to me that I let you guys know about this song now, because it really did leave an outstanding impression on me over the last few days. Collider is the name of the new single out now by Silent Planet. Collider did come with the announcement of Silent Planet's new album, Superbloom, which is releasing on November 3rd. Uh, Garrett Russell said that the date of the release coincides with the anniversary of the band's bus crash last year. And he gave a really cool synopsis of sorts for what the album will delve into thematically by talking about how the album was recorded during an actual Superbloom, which he described as... A strange moment where brilliant fauna spring forth unexpectedly and bring forth such an array of colors, it almost feels alien in origin. So there's a ton of lore and thought put into this record, and then you get into what we've heard sonically so far from Signal, Antimatter, and then now Collider, which gives this pathway for Garrett to give these really ominous sounding excerpts in the quiet verses before branching off into... One of the most explosive and powerful courses that the band has ever put to their name. This really could end up being Silent Planet's definitive run in both the lead up to Super Bloom and then the actual cycle for the album. I think they're at the top of the game right now and as good and as refined as they've ever been. And I am genuinely ecstatic for what the future can hold for them and the effects that Super Bloom can have on all of us. The final single that I will go into detail on for the episode is by In Your Absence, and it is called Blind Faith. This is a new project with their debut single, and I really do believe that there is a lot of substance here that you guys can sink your teeth into and thoroughly enjoy. In Your Absence has members who have previously been part of Loss and Separation, Pride in Pieces, and The White Noise. Uh, Jesse, the vocalist of the band, also mentioned involvement in this song from Matt Dirks, who is the front of house engineer for Bad Omens. And essentially combining all of those elements and minds made for one of the most impressive and outstanding debut singles I think I've ever heard in the scene. There is a commanding energy right from the intro that carried over to the verses and then subsequently the chorus that has this massive feel to its production and atmosphere and just the overall vibrancy that it gives off. I am honestly in awe of how much I adore this song. And I think you guys will feel that as well should you give In Your Absence and Blind Faith a chance to win you over. These were the remaining singles from two weeks ago now that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Like Candles by Asleep at the Helm. Dead Way by Bad Love, Doubt Me by Beartooth, Death Can Wait by Being as an Ocean, Dead Zone by Blind Channel, Death's Forgotten Children by Carnifex featuring Tom Barber from Chelsea Grin, Halfway by Chastity, 702 by Sharia Moore, Hypertrophy by Citizen, Deadlands by Dethrone the Corrupted, Afterwards by Father Son, Spacer's Choice by Free Throw, Really Hate by Go for Gold, Heaven Shall Burn by Imminence. Old Wounds by L.S. Dunes, Summer by Lightwave, 5050 by Marin, Under the Gun by Mouth for War, Flambe by Notions featuring Shared, Make It Out Alive by 1OK Rock, You Took Everything by Our Last Goodbye, You and I by Paloma featuring Michael Swank, Overflow by Polaris, A New Chapter by Sable Hills, Altar of Guilt by Serration featuring David Blom, Fall from Grace by Sink With Me, Moonlight Euphoria by Sunsleep. Help Is On The Way, which is a Rise Against cover by Telltale. Inside My Walls by Termina. Wake O Jesus by The Callous Dowboys. Diamond Eyes by Unity TX. Red by What Was Me. And Hum by Year Over Year. One song got a 2 out of 5 and it was Killing Me by Blind Equation. I kind of get it with Blind Equation, like the whole 8-bit sound... And I really wish I liked it because that sounds really cool in theory, but then in practice and in delivery and all that shit, it just doesn't work for me. It doesn't hit. It, it kind of sounds like strange and forced in a lot of ways. Um They do have an album out soon, and I imagine that I'll go ahead and review it just because I've already talked about the singles up to now. So, you know, might as well just look at the the full length. But yeah, I, I really, really don't get it. And I, I wish I did. Really, really wish I did. So, those were all the singles. It was a lot of them. And now there are a lot more albums to get through. So, I'm going to try to do this in a quick, efficient, timely, but still acceptable manner. So, the first one up is the brand new album by The Ward Alive It is Hard Reset. I have always felt this attachment to The World Alive because of how early into their tenure I discovered them. Literally back when it was still a side project for Craig Mabbitt. And I've been able to watch everything that I view as the ups and the downs in the discography of this band. And through all of that, I think they've been able to maintain this identity and credibility that makes their longevity in the scene possible. I had a substantial level of intrigue during the singles rollout for Hard Reset because with each single, whether it was New Reality or Slow Burn or anything else they put out, I felt like I was hearing the word alive at potentially the highest level they have ever operated at. And upon hearing the remainder of Hard Reset, I am inclined to believe that this is still the case. I do consider this to be my favorite album by The Word Live, and that's even after completely adoring what they did on Monomania three years ago. One of the immediate elements of Hard Reset that will stand out to his listeners will be the feature spots, and not just because of the quantity of them, but also the sheer quality. Fade Away manages to take what Craig Mabbitt excels at in his screams and works him effortlessly into the spacing of that track, just like how the execution of a new Empty feels like it could be a Normandy song, the way that Philip Strand lays his vocals over this really clean and savvy-sounding bass line. And among all of these features, I do believe that the standout is One of Us, which features Noah Sebastian from Bad Omens, because of just how well his soft-spoken delivery is integrated into his verse, and then the commanding nature of his voice soars in the second chorus. There are so many other highlights on the record, namely, in my opinion, Invisible Army, which has one of the most infectious and singable choruses on the entire album, and probably the discography of the world alive as a whole if i really think about it i said earlier that i've been able to watch the ups and downs of this band's tenure and i am not sure if i've ever seen them achieve ups of this caliber before hard reset is in my mind the best that the world alive have ever sounded and i am beyond thrilled that they managed to pull me in again like this hot milk have their debut album out now it is a call to the void Since the start of Ulterior over two years ago, Hot Milk's ascent has been detailed with their EPs, such as I Just Want to Know What Happens When I'm Dead and The King and Queen of Gasoline, the latter of which had a top 20 song of the year in the year-end rankings off of I Fell In Love With Someone I Shouldn't Have. I think throughout everything that Hot Milk have done, the reoccurring theme is just how easy it is to get lost in these songs because Han and Jim have this real knack for being able to craft these tracks that just seamlessly get stuck in your head and I have felt that with this album and how a song like Horror Show is able to utilize this almost chaotic sounding instrumentation with the vocals still serenading you. "A Party on My Deathbed is another song that continues that trend as does Migraine which has this almost trash boat-esque nature to its delivery or at least that's what it came across as to me. As of right now, my favorite song on the record is Alice Cooper's Pull House, and I'm not sure if that's because it's the track that reminds me most of the prior songs from the band that I was able to really gravitate towards, but regardless, I just feel like that song has... This undeniable rhythm and energy to it that I sometimes think I have lost within the pop punk genre. So it's really cool to get to hear a song like Alice Cooper's "Pull House" and understand that Hot Milk can still easily satisfy that area of interest that I will always have an affinity for when a band like Hot Milk is doing it that well. Another highlight on "A Call to the Void" comes from the closing song "Forget Me Not," which sees Hot Milk scale the pacing as far back as they ever have on this record and deliver this really emotional concluding note on the album that I think is massive for them. And it's a really gripping look at how they can execute something on that front. I think that for their first attempt at a full length album, Hot Milk absolutely delivered, and this is the exact follow-up to the successful strand of EPs that this band has, and I would hope and imagine that anybody within this band's camp in and outside of it who have been anticipating this record managed to be fulfilled and have any expectations shattered and exceeded, because that might have been what happened with me. Let's look at No Joy by Spanish Love Songs. Emo Paradise is essentially what I feel when listening to not only this record, but just Spanish love songs altogether. I know that 2020's Brave Faces Everyone was a huge album for a lot of people who enjoy diving into this sector of the scene, and I really do believe that No Joy is as appropriate of a follow-up as Spanish love songs could have possibly put out. Just from the tracks that appear early on in the album, there is that sense of emotional weight pulling you into the project off of songs like lifers and pendulum which do an incredible job at mixing dylan's really unique melancholic delivery with this instrumentation that manages to be brooding and joyful strangely at least at the same time it's a really cool sound that no joy is grounded in that is a bit hard to really decipher and put into words for you guys but I think that is where a lot of the charm that I sense within this project stems from. It is alien in a way, while being familiar, because I can listen to No Joy and pull out influences like The Wonder Years or Tushia More. But ultimately, everything happening here is still solely Spanish love songs in a lot of ways. And I feel like no matter how exactly... Spanish love songs decided to go about telling these deathly-feeling stories, whether it's as slow and ominous like it is on Middle of the Nine, Mutable, and Exit Bags, or something that acts as a masked, uplifting-sounding song like "Cleanup Crew, there is something here for everyone who wants that emo fix that comes in this neatly but still roughly-produced package that I think has the potential to get over with Spanish Love Song's audience as effectively as Brave Faces Everyone did. Heirloom have a new album out now, it is Romanticize. I don't think that I slept on the singles rollout for Romanticize necessarily, but I definitely did not relay at every chant I could have just how hard I believe these songs hit and the magnitude to which Heirloom delivered on this album. Right from the opening song, we are not the same. There is both a sense of nostalgia to a prior time for Metalcore in the early 2010s and also this Refined, crisp in how Heirloom approached this album. And again, it's so noticeable here from the chorus and the way that it sounds. So right away, if you're just getting into Heirloom from this album, you kind of know what to expect when traveling through the rest of the record. And I don't think that ability to make memorable hooks and blistering rhythms ever lets up in the runtime. It carries over effortlessly into Hyper Vigilant and then the title track which features Taylor Barber from Left to Suffer giving the song an extra bit of flavor that allows it to be distinguished from the rest of the tracklist in a very favorable manner. There is another feature spot on the song Passenger Seat with Lauren Babick of Soul of Fame and also projects like Crazy 88 and Red Handed Denial And I think she is tremendous in her portions. I kind of believe that the best way I can kind of summarize, romanticize, is that it's just a good-ass time. Like, I enjoy these songs so much, and they kind of put me in this nostalgic mindset, like I mentioned earlier. Just because I can easily imagine these songs having been, you know, listened to by myself walking through halls in high school or while playing something on Xbox Live once. It's just... I don't know, man, it's got that flair to it. That definitely helps in establishing this connection to myself, but I still feel that everything here works to the point where it's just as accessible to anybody newer to the scene, and I do really hope that you guys can give Romanticize a chance, because I feel strongly in the belief that Heirloom delivered something special on this record. Like, genuinely, really, really fucking special. Asking Alexandria... Fucking hell, man! Asking Alexandria, asking Alexandria, asking Alexandria. The album is called "Where Do We Go From Here," which is actually a great fucking question after hearing this album. Um. Fuck, man, I don't know. I I don't know how to approach this album by asking Alexandria without sounding biased, or as if I'm looking at this band from the perspective and the lens of somebody who is just so enamored with their older material and cannot possibly give something new a chance. And that's really not the case like you guys should know by this point that I am open to giving new sounds from bands a chance at every turn as long as it sounds good as long as it sounds authentic as long as it sounds like the band themselves give a shit and there are so many areas within asking's effort from the last couple years it just doesn't feel like that like like house on fire from 2020 is fucking abysmal. It is one of the worst albums I've ever heard because aside from uh, They Don't Want What We Want and, to some extent, the violence, it just didn't feel to me like the band truly cared. It was just a lazy effort. And that did carry over into See What's on the Inside from 2021 in some ways. I think the songs that I really enjoy on that album, like um, Alone Again and uh, You Made It This Far, They do feel like they have character. They feel like they have a a spot in the discography of Asking. They belong in a lot of ways. And then so many of those songs there are just forgettable. They mean nothing to me. And I would be surprised if they mean anything to the band themselves. So to say that I came into where do we go from here with these very low expectations would probably be putting it mildly. I expected nothing out of this album. Truly nothing. Um... The singles like Dark Void, Psycho, and Bad Blood, I felt were just so off the mark and not anything that I had any interest in really covering. The good thing, though, is that what ended up happening in my mind was Asking Alexandria went ahead and put out some of the worst songs in this album as singles, and that really did help the songs that stand out to me here really flourish and really feel like maybe there is a glimpse of hope for asking. Maybe there was a lie at the end of the tunnel. Just maybe. Things could be different, let go, and nothing left. I feel like those three songs really do have this energy that feels like it's channeling self-titled from 2017. And I think self-titled has been a product of time in a way, because when I heard that album initially, I was like, yeah, it's good. It's kind of whatever. And then hearing how bad it could really get, that helped that album. That helped songs like Into the Fire, and When the Lights Come On. And I feel like that is going to be what happens here with those three songs. I'm going to be able to listen to them from here on out and believe that Asking really did make the effort to make these songs memorable. But then you just have these areas where songs like Feel and Let the Dead Take Me, they're right there. They kind of sound like they could be something special, but I just don't feel like the band cared enough. And that's kind of the recurring theme in this. I don't know if Asking Alexandria cares. And that's not good. Because then you get this lazy effort, this lazy output. Why is Kill It With Fire on this album? What sense does it have being here? How does the band making sounds for like a minute or a minute and a half, whatever the runtime really is, how does that fit into this? How does that make me as a listener want to believe that Asking Alexandria can still have it, can still be that band, can still fight with that dog in them, when this just sounds like a lazy effort to be like, oh look, we can still be heavy, we can still do it. I don't give a shit, man. But then one of the best things about the album comes in the closing song, Where Do We Go From Here? And maybe it is just because that song has this you know, real like acoustic and emotional nature to its delivery, it makes me believe like this is what Danny wants to be doing. This is where he excels at right now. This is the kind of sound that is meant for him to be diving into right now. And I appreciate that I was able to take this song and believe they can care. They can have life. They can have character. Not everything this band does has to be void of any emotion or lifeless. They can still be kind of good, if not just straight up good whenever they want to be. I just don't know at what points they want to be. So that's where I'm at right now with this album and probably the band altogether. I don't know what kind of Asking Alexandria I'm going to get now. I don't know if I'm going to get... The lazy effort that I've seen recently, or if I'm going to get glimpses of hope like I did here. But ultimately, it's too inconsistent of a a hit percentage for me to really feel like Asking Alexandria means something special the way that they used to. And I don't want this review to be clouded with like, again, oh, you're too hung up on Stand Up and Scream and Reckless and Relentless. I probably am. And I probably always will be. And I'm sorry that I feel that way about this band. And for the final album of the episode, it is one of, at least for myself, most anticipated releases of the year. And when it's all said and done, one of the best. The Noble Art of Self-Destruction by Holding Absence. There will come a time at a later date where I can reiterate the importance that Holding Absence have in my life and the significance of their prior album, The Greatest Mistake of My Life, to one of the most tumultuous and uncertain time periods of my life. That attachment has made it to where I could follow the singles rollout for The Noble Art of Self-Destruction and feel like, I was witnessing history in a way that I hardly ever have before. Holding Absence proved over the course of the last few months that they're not only one of the greatest bands of this generation, but the case can be expanded to the totality of time, and whether they're one of the greatest bands to ever exist, regardless of eras, is up for debate, and I would be on the side affirming that they are. What I want to say immediately for this record is the singles rollout perfect, phenomenal, next level, quintessential. Every choice that was made for the singles throughout A Crooked Melody, False Dawn, Honeymoon and Scissors each made all of the sense in the world to let listeners know what territory this record would be venturing into. You were treated to the cutting emotional nature of holding absence with this newfound hint of post-hardcore that they've laced throughout nearly every song in the tracklist. I think it's been a minute since I have been as captivated by an opener and closer combo the way that I am with Head Prison Blues and The Angel in the Marble. Head Prison Blues has this undeniable energy that is so infectious and gets you in the exact frame of mind that you need to be in to experience and enjoy the noble art of self-destruction. And then after every somber twist and turn the record takes what stops along the way, like Death Nonetheless, which has a very sort of like static dress or sea space cowboy feel to its instrumental progression or liminal which does mirror some of the energy that i mentioned with head prison blues the angel in the marble is this near six minute epic that has every bit of string tugging and mind altering that the lyricism attached to holding absence brings forth to everyone in their radius I'm breaking myself down to dust again, trying my best to make a masterpiece in the end, because there's an angel in the marble that I'm trying to set free, chopping and hacking to get to the best parts of me. Destroy to create, who would have known there's a sacrifice for growth? And as I would do for every single Holding Absence release up to now, I want to give the highest of praise possible to the performance of Lucas Woodland on vocals because I feel like it's pretty clear in his delivery and cadence on every song here, the comfortability that Lucas has found with his own voice to be able to try new things and further accentuate what it is that he is great at. Lucas is The bridge that brings every piece of The Noble Art of Self-Destruction together, and his voice is the perfect narration for this daunting tale that you cannot pull yourself away from. The Noble Art of Self-Destruction might be the most definitive piece of work that Holding Absence have ever put out because every song on here shows the potential to be the band's calling card. They all tell a story about heartache that you're forced to put yourself in the position of and that makes this journey not only more blissfully painful to hear, but also rewarding and satisfying to know that you're in the presence of one of the greatest bands to ever fucking do it and the output that comes from their efforts is making this entire scene that much better all around. And that's it. That was every album and song from two weeks ago now for me to talk about. And I know this episode was late. Shit happens. Stuff goes on. Things get delayed. Whatever the fuck. But, uh, yeah, it's out there now. So, please take the time, if you can, to check out anything I talked about today. Because this was not only the busiest week of the year, but also maybe the best. Thank you for listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.